word is yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here. Meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I said was the future, so we're just going to do this, up, up, and away. There you go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Have I got a great show for you. It's another topic that was so important to me and so good that I brought my panel back. A couple of new people are joining us today for a part two, because this is something that concerns us all. It is today, let's see, it's October, what, 26, 2022? Seriously, we wondered, those of us who were still here wondered how we get through 2020, 2021, and here we are almost done with 2022, and I'm glad we're all here. So it's moving ahead so quickly, but we used to talk about the 2020s, the 2030s. Well, what will our future look like in 2030? It is not that far away, a little more than seven years and a a spit. So how will we work? How will we get around? How will we eat? How will we dress? Will we have privacy? What's that? Is that a word the millennials even know what it is anymore? That, That door of the barn opened and the horse got out. Will we be safe? Who knows? Will we be space travelers? Talk about up, up, and away. What old challenges and new challenges will we face? I have a little bit of a buzz here from a website called unboxingstartups.com. Go find it. They say the top seven emerging future tech booms that will be redefining the future and the world we live in by 2020, 2030. That's our topic. More AI companies, that's artificial intelligence, more self-driving cars. Well, we can hope they'll be safe, right? I know. I've read the studies from Boston. You know, the roundabouts. I lived in Cambridge for years where one road leads to seven different jobs, but don't worry, there'll still be plenty of jobs that require humans. We have empathy and we have brains and we can think. More smart clothing embedded with Bluetooth chips that can give you points in some kind of competition when you run or walk or drive. Space elevators, whoosh, pervasive cloud computing. Well, it's already here, but how much more growth in the AR augmented virtual reality and mixed reality optics markets. Well, those are some of the trends. So raise your hand when I call your name. I'm doing a very brief intro because I can't wait to talk to my guest today. Colin Dunn is back. Colin, welcome back. He's at Fend Incorporated. Thank you for joining me. John Clay at Trend Micro. Hi, John. He's back. We have a newcomer, Debbie Taylor Moore at IBM Consulting. Debbie, I know you're at a conference in a hotel, and we very much appreciate your taking time carving it out of your busy day. And we have Derek Harp at CS. To AI, and he's going to explain what that all means. He's also at a conference, and he actually left the conference to go home to go to his studio so he can have a beautiful background, and then he's going to go back to the conference. And I have to do a shout-out to Mike Schroeder at Three Territory Solutions was going to join us, but he's... Talk about up, up, and away. He's on a plane right now. So we're doing a shout-out appreciation to Mike Schroeder for attempting to be with us and intending. So the topic is our cyber future in 2030. Will the living be... Now, part one was, will living be easy? I'm going to say, will the living be easier? <sighs> Comparison. Part two. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table and get some introductions. And we're interested in who's on the panel and why should we consider you an expert on this topic? Colin Dunn, so happy to have you. Please reintroduce yourself. Colin, since the other show was just a few months ago, I, I used my magic audience calculator 
And Colin, I'm thinking there might be 18.72 people who don't remember you. Would you please reintroduce yourself? John, you have about the same number, pretty close. Debbie, brand new, Derek, brand new. So Colin, please introduce yourself to those 18, whoever they are, and tell them what you've been up to. Welcome back. Well, thanks, Bonnie. I'm Colin Dunn, founder and CEO of FEND, and we're in the business of protecting critical infrastructure from cyber attack. But we take it uh, a different approach. We don't assume that the AI of the future is is here today, and certainly it may not be here in the future, because we're dealing with uh, really old infrastructure. We're talking about water utilities, talking about stuff that's been here since all of us were born, and will be here till we all retire. And we're going to have to realize that technology from an infrastructure perspective is a multi-generational effort to bring everything together so we can manage it better. We can be more energy efficient. But uh, I got into the business as an engineer trying to design green buildings for today and tomorrow, see how we can have better, healthier spaces. And just saw the need to bring even more data into places where we can use that AI and at the same time, pulling that data out of places that were never intended to be brought into the Internet. They were designed before the Internet. And um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Will the living be easier, Colin? Yeah, I think I'm going to pay one more tribute to Mike Schroeder and steal his answer from before. I think it'll be better. I don't think it'll be easier. Very good. I forgot he said that. Very, very good answer. See, Mike Schroeder, wherever you are on the plane, if you're listening, you're already part of the show. We, we just can't help it. You're important to us. Thank you very much, Colin. I have to do a shout out to Sophia Mastropolo, who helped me put this together, the original show, Colin and John, and a couple of other people. And so we're very happy and appreciative. She's watching. She said, Sophia, you're not watching us live. I don't see a number for you. Sophia, get the on thy computer and start watching. There we go. Let's go to John Clay. John Clay, welcome back. Same 18.72 people. Talk to them. What have you been up to? Welcome back. Yeah, Bonnie, great to be here again. Uh, I'm VP of Threat Intelligence at Trend Micro. I've actually been with Trend Micro for 26 years. So we do cybersecurity for businesses as well as consumers around the world. Uh, and what lately I've actually been traveling a lot. Uh, we were back to traveling and doing uh, face to faces. And so that's been fabulous. I've been to London a few times, I've been to Switzerland and going back to Amsterdam in a few weeks. So uh, looking forward to the call. More importantly to your people, I'm a father of three and I've got two dogs that may wander into the background at some point because my wife's out playing tennis right now. So we're having a good day here in Colorado. I'm very glad to hear that. Tell me something. Well, you'll introduce the dogs if they come in. They're more than welcome. Will. will the living be easy or easier, John? You know, it'll be easier, I think. Technology is going to make things better. Um, it's just a question of whether the geopolitical people that run all these countries can come together and, and be nicer to each other. Wouldn't it be nice if AI could foster some kindness in the world? That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get, wouldn't Debbie, wouldn't that be nice if we could just, just encourage people to be nicer to each other and stop all the, ah. anyway, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Don. Speaking of Debbie, I am summoning you, Debbie Taylor Moore. Very excited to have you on the panel. I read your bio and it was like, wow, does she sleep? What does she have for breakfast? Debbie, I think you're a legend in your in your territory of what you do. So Debbie, please introduce yourself for the first time to my audience around the world. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Bonnie. It's so nice to be here. And it's certainly with the other esteemed panelists who I, I've seen their work and they're pretty outstanding. I am a senior partner and a VP for global cybersecurity at IBM Consulting. And I've been in the industry for about 
just about 20 years. And I feel like I've seen everything. So when you talk about the future, it always sort of feels like there's really a back to the future. I think that we have lots of ideas. We have admired the problem as it relates to cybersecurity. And now we really need to sort of come together and truly implement, meaning truly execute on all these great suggestions and frameworks and um, products, solutions, everything that we have out there that we're throwing at the problem today. In spite of all that, we still feel a little behind. So I would say 2022 has been an exhausting year. <laughs> and I would say that that's probably true for a lot of us because there's been a lot of a, a lot of battle and a lot of fight. And I would say also that in terms of future, I think that I would borrow a um, a, a, a favorite favorite phrase from a friend of mine um, from Anishan, uh, Andrew Plato, who says that cloud is going to eat security. I think there's been such a rapid migration to the cloud. We do a lot of transformational work here at IBM that's hybrid cloud. We apply a lot of AI to solutions. Everything's starting to converge. Today, I am at a one of the, one of the very first quantum and cyber conferences, combining both. And so it's pretty amazing. I mean, we're going very fast into the future. So I, ju I just say, hold on, hold on tight to something, someone. I like that. Put it to someone or so, something or someone. I, I'll go with the someone. I have to find him, but I'll, I'll find him. Debbie, easy or easier 2030? What are we looking at? I think um, the future holds for us quite a few challenges. And I think that we can't do the same things that we used to do. We have to think about it differently, but Thank definitely you. more challenging. Thank you. I agree. Look, it, and it has been exhausting. The past two and a half, three years have been exhausting, but I'm very glad that we're here today. Let's just leave it at that. Derek Harp, you are up. Harp. Is, is that a stage name, Harp, Derek Harp, or is that, is that a, I, I'm sorry, I have to ask. Derek, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank for, for, you. Forget my question. I didn't mean it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I was given the name at birth. Uh, so um, yeah, my name is Derek Harp, and I am a, uh, I guess I've, I've earned the term serial entrepreneur. I I started, if you want to, you know, I could say in the 1980s with lawn mowing businesses and things. I've always been creating businesses, but I started my first cybersecurity company while exiting the U.S. Navy in 1997. And since then, that's that's been sort of my passion area and starting, co-founding, advising, investing in early stage companies, mostly all technology companies, but mostly cybersecurity companies. And then today, um, I find myself doing something I never expected. I'm running a nonprofit, uh, CS. 2AI or CSA as we call it, the Control System Cybersecurity Association International. And this was born out of uh, just creating a meeting in my hometown, uh, my current hometown, my new hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. And it was getting folks together to talk about control system cybersecurity over, uh, you know, over um, adult beverages seven years ago. And now that has spawned uh, 26,000 members in 110 cities and and it's, uh, it's, you know, our purpose is to recruit more people to the workforce. We don't have enough people in cybersecurity. We certainly don't have enough people within the domain of cybersecurity for control systems, but then also to professionally support those people. And the area that I'm most excited about is the people that have been promoted because of huge technical competency into new leadership positions. And they have other skill sets that are not as well developed as far as communication and presentation talking to the board of directors and things like that. So we want to round people out and support them professionally and help create the, the leadership group of uh, tomorrow for the sector. 
How exciting. I want to I want to join your group as a communications um, mentor, perhaps. Awesome. You're welcome. We'll talk about it. Would you like I would like that. I'm looking for more to do. And I've been in communications and radio and TV for oh, probably about 20 years. And and I think I could possibly add something. So let's talk. OK, I, Derek, I look forward to it. Thank you. I will say that the four of you are beyond impressive. I'm very honored that you're joining me because the the brain power, Debbie and Colin and John and Derek, I'm going around the way I see you on the screen. Um, I admire people who are so dedicated to what they do, where you've all learned something and grown it and made it into your life's work, your career, a path you're contributing. And I'm just saying before we even hear all of your words of wisdom on the show, I'm saying thank you to the four of you. I really, really appreciate you. I admire smart people. Debbie, I have to tell you quickly, I'm an early woman in tech. I was a programmer analyst back in the 1970s. Uh, not as far back as Grace Hopper, but I was coding in, in uh, COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, where I had to stand on a step stool with a disc pack with a handle that looked like a cake carrier and put it into a drive for it to be read. And we had, I was key punching my code on 2080 column cards. I still have the green bar paper and the silver COBOL book. And we carried it around in a box with with uh, uh, thousands of these cards. And the there was a card reader and the operator put it in with job control language, JCL and then it was read into the computer, and then the program ran from there. It was quite an interesting time, and then eventually we actually had the ability to type our code into a monitor that put it into the computer without having to carry the cards around. So I've got some stories. And I was the kickoff speaker for Women in Big Data last year on International Women's Day, March 8th, 2021. And I showed them what a real computer looked like back in the days of the IBM 43. It was a warehouse internet and bells and whistles. And there were big boxes on floors and magnetic floors. Oh, yeah, those were the days. Debbie, I just wanted to validate I, I preceded you by a couple of decades, but I'm there with you. Okay, so let's go on. This is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a fictional quote from a movie or TV character or a song lyric, whatever they wanted, that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to explain in their own words, take two or three minutes max. Colin, I'm starting with yours. I'll read a little background. This was a new one to me, never heard of it. Uh, the song is Scientific Method. I'll read your quote in a second by Ada Twist, a scientist on the Netflix TV series from 2021. A pint-sized scientist, Ada Twist, and her two best friends are asking big questions and working together to discover the truth about everything. Ada Twist Scientist is a 2016 children's picture book written by Andrea Beattie and illustrated by David Roberts, and then they turned it into a TV show. Very well received. So here's the quote. Make an observation, ask a question, form a hypothesis, and make a prediction. Do a test or experimentation, analyze data, draw a conclusion. Scientific method. I didn't try to sing it, Colin, because that would have just completely ruined the show. So do you want to sing it for us, Colin Dunn? Probably not. I only have one note, and you're listening to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. You know, I was trying. Uh, I had a, I had a Daniel Tiger quote last time, so I also uh, have uh, like John kids at home. But tried since this is most of the media I get, I have to take inspiration from what I what I consume. And so this show about these little scientists, I was like, man, they're teaching the stuff I remember learning as an engineer and in science class and about the scientific method. And I thought it was really relevant to 2030 and to the cyber future as well. Because uh, as we've seen over the last few years, like there's a there's an attack on the truth 
And it's really hard to know today what's real and what's not. There's certainly different opinions of what happened in different world events. And the, there's lots of money to be made in the folks that advertise to these different audiences. And to some extent, uh, maybe to a large extent, people have kind of, there are some audiences that have already given up on the truth. They're taking the comfortable story. Um, and you think back to the uh, scene from The Matrix where the one villain is saying, you know what, I want to plug back in. I want to taste that steak dinner. I'm going to take I'm let my mind to be comfortable. But there are ways, I think, uh, that we can try to figure out what the truth is for those that really want to know. And I was thinking about the scientific method. Hey, you're not sure if this story is real. You're not sure if this is a deep fake video. Let's go find some evidence. Let's go ask a question. Hey, I think this is what really happened. I'm going to go check a couple different sources. I'm going to ask around. It's a lot of work. And there are those that are going to say, I'd just rather be lied to. But there, there is a method. And if you can apply the scientific method to the information you get today and tomorrow, there is a way to figure out what really happened. Thank you very much. It sounds like the future will not be easier at all, Colin, according to that. Doing the work, yes, the work is required. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I'm going to have to peek at that show at some point. John Clay has picked a quote from a 1985 American neo-noir comedy thriller film. John, I love the way they put all those genres together. It can be a drama, comedy, sci-fi, animated, stop motion, everything, a thriller, a dark, light. Uh, I, I love these. Uh, the movie is Fletch. Erwin M. Fletch Fletcher, played by the one and only Chevy Chase, talking to Willie, played by Bo Starr. Here is the, let me see, do I need to tell anything else? Um, okay, it's about LA Times reporter Erwin M. Fletch Fletcher offered a large sum of money by a millionaire to kill the millionaire who supposedly has terminal cancer. Fletch becomes suspicious when he discovers the guy's not sick at all. So Fletch investigated and his life is threatened in the movie. It was one of the top 50 grossing domestic films in its first year, and it has a cult following, and there are a couple of sequels. There we go. John Hamm was in the latest one in 2022. Here's the scene. Willie says, what the hell you need baseball? Bad, I'm sorry. What the hell you need ball bearings for? And Fletch says, oh, come on, guys. It's so simple. Maybe you need a refresher course. That's the line. John, what are we refreshing? Go ahead. <laughs> well, besides being a cult member, uh, you know, the... Uh, it, I, I kind of liken it to that the idea that we always are going to have to educate ourselves, right? And you're always, whether it's a refresher course on something you're trying to relearn or you're learning new stuff. And, you know, as we move forward in, in time, we're going to have to learn constantly because things change constantly. One of the things, obviously, in 26 years in cybersecurity is, as uh, Debbie mentioned, I've seen everything, but the beauty of what we have, what we're doing is that something always new, always new comes up. And so it keeps you fresh. It keeps you young that you, when you, you continually learn things out there, uh, you, you know, Debbie talked about quantum computing. We're going to be dealing with quantum computing sooner than later. And so you're going to have to learn about that and understand what the ramifications of that. So um, we see a lot of, of uh, organizations that one of the biggest threats we see is misconfigurations. And that's usually because they haven't educated themselves on the new technology and how it can be exposed, how it can be uh, compromised and, and exploited. So uh, I kind of like it because he, you know, one, he's funny and, you know, oh, come on, guys. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend that's a, a big fan, too. So we always joke with that, that. We use that term constantly or that phrase constantly. And so. Um, just for the audience, again, just, you know, keep your, your learning uh, uh, love of learning and that will take you far in life. 
curiosity. I do a show on Monday nights called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives. And one of my guests, when we describe creativity, and we're all creating our life, right, Debbie? You didn't come with a manual. You popped out. You said, oh, here's a manual. This is what Debbie's going to be. No, I don't think so. Colin, John, Derek, we're all, we're all figuring it out. Life is an improv. People don't realize that. But one of my guests called it courageous creativity. And I thought, what an interesting term, right? The courage to do whatever. Anyway, that's what we're going to need in the future, I think. Thank you very much. By the way, for Colin and for uh, John, I put your upcoming predictions in the chat for you when we're finished with the quotes. Debbie Taylor Moore has picked a quote. That is one of our favorites. That is one of our most frequent quotes on the show, and everybody loves it. And it's base commander Colonel Nathan R. Jessup. I could probably recite this without reading it. Played by Jack Nicholson. Is there anybody better? A Few Good Men, 1992 American legal drama. Based on Aaron Sorkin's 1989 play. And let's see, uh, it was inspired by Aaron Sorkin's sister, Deborah, who graduated from BU Law School and signed up for three years with JAG, Navy Judge Advocate General Corp. She was going to Guantanamo Bay to defend a group of Marines who came close to killing a fellow Marine in a hazing ordered by a superior officer. Sorkin wrote the most of the screenplay, Debbie, on cocktail napkins because he was bartending on Broadway. I don't know if you knew that. And oh. he, he and his roommates had bought a Mac 512K computer back in the day. And when he came home from work, he took all the cocktail napkins out of his pocket and he entered them on the Mac. And that became, he typed them in, that became the basis for the drafts for the play. I love the backstories. Here's the quote, five little words at Pack-A-Punch. You can't handle the truth. Debbie, relate this to our topic, please. Go ahead. Absolutely. So Bonnie, you know, you look at, um, the folks on the front line who are defending networks, defending the cloud, and who work as um, operational technology-focused folks who see the bad. And they have to report on what's going on. They have to investigate what's going on. And also, there's a responsibility to make sure that the top of the organization understands the gravity of what the truth is, of what the real firefight is out there. And I feel that in our um, world, I do a lot of C-suite advising, that there's a little bit of filtering going on there, a little bit of sugarcoating when it comes to um, the C-suite and really going out on the limb and truly telling the truth. It's as if they can't handle the truth. And I don't think that's true. I think they expect to hear the truth. But I feel that what we've got to be focused on really is sort of plain speaking the truth and applying that truth to the impact it'll have on business systems, the impact it'll have on the company or the agency or organization's mission, and putting it in language that people understand so they can understand the gravity of the truth. And I think that sometimes we in cybersecurity make things really complicated and we make it, you know, someone asks, it's like someone asks, what time is it? And you are looking at your watch saying, well, let me take my watch apart, put it back together. And then I'll tell you about what time it is when there is really a simple, simpler way to get to that, um, to, to get to that answer. And just making it so that it is consumable by the audience that you need in order to impact all of the funding that is required by your department, the staffing that's required by your department, the technology, all of it. You need that support, but you got to go in there and not just, 
you know, downplay it or sugarcoat it. You got to go tell the truth. Thank you. And if we apply that, Debbie, to life in 2030, in terms of all the new tech we're going to be talking about in the predictions in a minute, um, telling the truth about what this is going to do to your life. Yes, you can have your doctor a cell phone attachment or an app away, but it may compromise your privacy, but it'd be worth it because it'll save your life. So be careful what you share. Things like that. What What is our balance of the truth, of the risk and the reward, if I can use that very old phrase? Thank you, Debbie. Very, very interesting. And I've got a prediction teed up for you here in the chat in just a second. And let's go to Derek Harp. I still love your last name, Derek. I think I, yeah, I, I might want to borrow it. Bonnie Harp, I don't know how that would sound. No relationship, of course. Derek, let's look at your quote. Well, this is another one we love on the show. It's by Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, and by Ellis Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman. They both say it in the same scene, which is unusual. The movie, of course, everybody knows, The Shawshank Redemption, 1994, for American drama film, and the story of Andy Dufresne, who's a banker, sentenced to life in Shawshank State Penitentiary for murdering his wife and her lover, but he's innocent. In two decades, he befriends fellow prisoner contraband smuggler Redding and becomes instrumental in a money laundering operation led by prison warden Samuel Norton, played by very well by Bob Gunton, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, what's interesting is that Frank Darabont, who was the writer and director, bought the rights to Stephen King's story, which was called, um, uh, here we go. The novella was Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. That's a 1982 Stephen King novella, but it took five years before he actually developed it, and he did it in eight weeks. So there's quite a quite a time interesting story there. So here's the quote. Of course, we love this one. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really: get busy living or get busy dying. Okay, Derek. I hope I hope the living is the part we're talking about for 2030. Go ahead, Derek. It's all yours. Yeah, you have a choice there. I, I'm, I'm I'm more interested in that one as well. Yeah. Now, you know, it's uh, this is I love that movie. It's 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 always what I cite as sort of one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, and that quote has got lots of different um, sort of things you could think about. But for me, it's it's really about just embracing every moment. We 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 have a limited amount of time, and uh, we've got to make the the very best of it. And and uh, there's people who you know, we come in all spectrum of, uh, of where we focus. And I just want to focus on moving forward and creating, you know, creating new things and, uh, and, and, and being positive, having a positive effect on, you know, other people. And if we all do that, sort of the ripple effect of that is sort of exciting and we can get mired down right now. Probably everybody could for all time, find things in their time period. And today it's not hard to find things to be negative about, about, you know, whether it's politics or, or um, global pandemics, but in the truth, there's just silver lining still everywhere, even amongst all those things. And uh, so I'm excited about the future, but I think we've got to, we've got to orient ourselves. And so that's, that's my mission is stay focused on, uh, on living and living, uh, living as well as possible. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you all for doing the work on the quotes. I'm going back to gallery view. There you are. Thank you very much. I'm not going to read Mike Schroeder's quote because I don't have any idea how it would apply to the topic. So we'll just get Mike on for part three and he'll explain the quote. So there we go. Let's go to our predictions now. I've selected one prediction for each of you for starters and put it in the chat for each of you privately. So I'll read the prediction and here's how it's going to work. I'll read it. Uh, let's see. I think John's is very long. I'll read just a little bit. The rest are just single sentence which are fine. I'll read yours, Colin, to start, and I'm going to put you on speaker view. And what I like is if Derek or John or Debbie 
has any comments on what Colin says, and it's not required, you've got whatever hand you're using left or right, you've got five fingers and four of them are the polite fingers. Wiggle one of your polite fingers at me on the screen and I will see you when I will call you for a one minute commentary on what Colin said. If nobody says anything, I will go to a prediction from John and then one from Debbie and one from Derek, and then we'll go around the table again as time allows. So Colin Dunn, prediction number one. This is interesting. Printed newspapers. What will make a minor comeback much like vinyl records? I just moved and I've got a box of them. As hipsters was at the right or the left hip, embrace the digital detox. There's a lot to unpack there, Colin. Go ahead. <laughs> Which hip? Which hip? <laughs> well, so, and uh, you know, again, this is about the future, not necessarily about what we do from day to day you know, of our day jobs here. But, you know, the, uh, the, the humanity is not going to be able to process more and more and more and more information. Like we just aren't going to evolve fast enough. Or most of us, I think, are at or beyond capacity right now. And uh, just, are you going to want to spend every waking and then not sleeping moment just uh, finding one more story, which is generally something to get angry about, something that you don't have, like that you're jealous you don't own, or some some something else. It's just generally information you don't need, but you get tons of it. Like I consume automotive journalism because I like to read about new cars. I buy a, car, a new car every 10 years. Do I need to know anything that's happening with the next generation Toyotas? I don't need to know any of it until probably like a week before I actually buy a car. And could I detach from that? Well, I'd love to. And I'd love to just not know what's happening in general. And that's going to be the big luxury in the future is not knowing everything and being on top of everything, but being able to blissfully say, I spend time with myself. I don't know. I missed it. And the, the compare it to vinyl records, which, you know, were down and down and down and made a bit of a comeback, mostly, I think, because, you know, the people like the audio, but the experience is different. I occasionally, I don't usually have time, but I'll sit down and I'll put on a record and I have a crummy sound system, but there's beauty to it. You put something on there and then you're, you sit and you're forced, unless you were really a, a DJ to listen to the whole album and you're like, well, that wasn't my favorite song, but I see how it ties together with the other one. And you just consume it differently. And the same with the newspaper. If I could get all my news in one week, like on a Sunday with no distractions and not be looking at the, at like the banner ads that are following me around the internet, but rather like, Oh, I consumed the most important stories of the week. That would be something to be helpful. I think for a lot of people's mental health, knowing what is actually important from the world stage. I remember going, to New Zealand for five weeks you know, before we had kids. So we said, we're going to get away. We're going to take this big trip while we can. And I came back and people were like, oh, you missed so much. I'm like, what did I miss? They're like, uh, somebody camped out in a, uh, in a radio tower and they were just up there for like three weeks. I'm like, that's the most important thing that some <laughs> nut job was in a radio tower for three weeks. I didn't need to know that. And, you know, it just felt really good not to know. So being able to detach, I think, is going to be really the – luxury and it's going to be very hard for people to pull away from their social and work environments and be able to do that so that's that's where i think there'll be a comeback for that sort of consumption of media i like that digital detox everybody agree with that you like debbie De oh debbie debbie's uh debbie i'll give you 30 seconds talk go ahead well, I think that's that's great i think it's healthy to sort of unplug every now and then and to maybe turn off alerts wherever you can. So you can actually have some time to just think about the thing that's in front of you instead of what you have to respond to. 
and what you have to think about, you know, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes, an hour from now, just to be in the moment. 2030, maybe we'll have an automatic way to set up a program. Maybe we have it now for turning off those alerts. Derek, go ahead. You know, you can be aware of how all these things work, um, the the sort of the algorithms, but I can, I can, I know how it works. I've read the reports. I sit, be at night, be in bed. I'm going to go to bed a certain time and X flicks later, reading another thing that leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. It's like, there it is. I didn't intend to stay up this late. I didn't intend to read that much, but that's how that's how that particular information overload connectivity thing works. And it's it, you can even know that those things are psychologically there, and they're still we're human beings. That's how we're wired. And I play Wordle every night, and the new one comes on at midnight. And I have a friend I've known in New York for on Long Island for about thirty years, and she and I exchange the little scorecard. My daughter and her husband also play, and we don't share what we solved, but we share that. So if I'm up past midnight, I try to play Wordle either on my computer or on my my iPad in in bed or while I'm finishing some boring TV show. If not, first thing in the morning is okay. How do I fit it into my work schedule? So that's one of those things that it's there all the time, and that's fun. But that's actually fun. Who wanted John? You want to make a comment? Go ahead. Oh, I just want to share a funny story. My brother owns a big construction company, and tell and he and he continually tells me, "I'll know when he's retired when he has just a flip phone that just does voice, <laughs> and that's it." So. <laughs> Touche. I like that. Uh, thank you very much, Colin. You certainly sparked some interesting comments around the table. Let's go to John Clay. I'm looking at prediction number two, and this relates to one of the comments I made about more robots in the manufacturing sector and jobs. People are scared. What? Will I be out of a job? No, not really. So you say technology will allow people anywhere in the world to learn new skills that will allow them to improve their opportunities in the workforce or in life skills. I'm going to stop there, John. There was a lot here. Why don't you unpack it for me? John? Yeah, I mean... It's it's so interesting that during the pandemic, obviously, we all sat home and we had time to do things. And um, and I think the technology that you're seeing today, like if you if you follow YouTube, for example, if you go on YouTube, you can learn any skill because people just post how to do things and in YouTube. And with the world going to work from home, the phenomenon of work from home, I think, you know, business people will be able to find people anywhere in the world to be able to do jobs and you can learn those jobs through educating yourself through, through the internet. Um, you look at a lot of these uh, um, countries are investing heavily in infrastructure to bring the internet to their countries, make it affordable, make it easy. Technology is making the cost uh, go down for all these devices to be able to connect to the internet. And once you're on the internet, you can learn anything you want. If you want to learn quantum computing, for example, there's probably, you know, uh, textbooks on quantum computing or somebody talking about it on YouTube or on a TEDx or something, right? So the beauty of what I think this is going to allow us as um, not just as humans, but as businesses, I can find someone anywhere in the world now. And because I can allow that person to work remotely, I can, I can go find the best talent that is possible out there in the world. And then going back to my original statement about you know the future, I think this is gonna break down walls, break down barriers, break down borders, because now you have people, You know, I don't wanna go and, and attack a country if I have a whole bunch of people working for me in that country. Uh, so hopefully that can help minimize some of the conflicts also around the world, because we're gonna be so dependent on people from everywhere working for us, playing with us, 
you know, engaging with us, obviously with gaming, for example, you can yep. game with people yeah. all over the world yep. and they're your friends now, they're part of your group, et cetera. So, and, and that's the beauty, I think, with technology, it's just going to make it easier and better for people to communicate, to learn and to expand what they want to do in life. Empathy, humanity, community. I think those to me were the words that were coming out of anybody have any comments about learning skills and staying in the workforce as long as you want to. And some of us refuse to use the word retire. That's a dirty, dirty word in my life. Anybody? Oh, Derek, go ahead. I just, I loved uh, borderless came to mind when, when you were talking, John, that the, the, the concept of all these hard borders will get softer and softer and softer. I, I love that. Yeah. Empath empathy for the people you know around the world. That's how I would put that together. Thank you, Borderless, we should hope. Debbie, I'm looking at prediction number one, and John summoned it without realizing it, talking about quantum computing, but I want you to elaborate for us. Debbie says, quantum computing will be capable of breaking today's encryption schemas. I think we're focusing on cybersecurity here, and that is a concern. Debbie, please knock yourself out. Go ahead. Well, absolutely. So I know that sounds a little scary, but we think that by 2030, there will be a quantum computer that is um, powerful enough to break today's encryption. We're certainly headed that way and we're progressing much faster than what we might have progressed in the last few years than we did in the previous um, decade. And so the interesting thing about that is that everything that you hold dear, whether that is your um, conversations, your private conversations, your medical records, your tax records, your company's secrets, um, our national secrets. Everything is, um, there, there's open season for attacking today, harvesting all that data in its encrypted form and saving it, bad guys, saving this data to decrypt it later when this type of um, powerful computing becomes available. And so what we need to think about with this is that is to not necessarily get quantum computing conflated with the quantum safe encryption that we need, because encrypting just means simply that we want to lock these secrets that we have and we want to lock them as indefinitely as we can before that moment happens. We're not there yet, but we need to prepare because encryption is in everything we do everywhere, including our critical infrastructure and how we um, manage to protect it. And so what we want to do is not to put this off as some sort of far off um, consideration. I think that today we need to be mapping and identifying and discovering where all of our encryption lies and where we have long held secrets or secrets that have long-term sensitivity, mm -hmm. how we wanna keep those secrets safe and to be able to move eventually into some sort of a hybrid that moves us from classical computing or the encryption associated with classical computing into the new standard of encryption. And by that, what I mean is that we'll always be in some sort of a hybrid um, situation. There's not going to be this one day that we all cut over to something new that saves the world. But we should start planning because it is the biggest, one of the biggest projects. And it's kind of epic. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest projects, remediation projects that we could possibly undertake in cybersecurity. And Thank so you. people are talking about it and thinking about it now. 
Well, it's imp- it is important, and that's, I, I believe, an underlying thread for all of you on the show. John, you're nodding and nodding and nodding. Don't even need to raise your finger. I'm calling on you anyway. John Clay, go ahead. Jump in. One minute. Well, yeah, I just want to comment that if you look at today's current processing power, if Moore's law continues to be followed, we're actually about only four years away from this prediction. So, uh, but but again, the beauty is that hopefully with Moore's law, the technology to to apply to um, the actual encryption process will be there as well. So looking can, forward. To can it. one of you articulate Moore's law? I, it's, I don't think Debbie and Debbie, that's not Debbie Moore's law, is it? I think it's another Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to say it, Debbie, you knew that. Can anybody just give me a quick synopsis of Moore's law? So the audience saying, what is that Debbie's? What are we talking about? John, Debbie, Moore's law. John brought up Moore's law. And what do yeah, you just- Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, so there was a, person back in the day that um, predicted that because the technology is going to change very quickly and and Moore's law essentially says you're going to you're going to um, accelerate the the uh, ability to create tech very fast and so it's a multiple applier effect of of how um, technology progresses and so uh, he predicted kind of a, a formula and it's played out pretty um, especially in the semiconductor, he's kind of from the semiconductor. So the chip sizes have, have shrunk so quickly, similar thing to other technologies. Thank you very much. Okay, let's go on. I'm looking at Derek prediction number two. This is interesting. You say in the future, every device with any level of electronics in it, and that's big, will have an option at least to connect to at least one other device. There's a lot of at least and a lot of options in there. So why does this matter? And what are we, be specific, Derek, what are we talking about here? Yeah, and then you're, you you keyed in on it. So the way I phrased that, because I don't like absolutism, there'll be something someone will make that will not connect to anything. But, um, and by connecting to at least one device, it may not be something that's connected to the Internet of Things or whatever it's called, you know, in the future of the network. It may be that it's connected to some sort of controller. It may be a one-to-one thing. But this concept of... Uh, of connectedness and a, and a hyper-connected society. That's clearly where we're, where we're headed. And um, uh, I think we're at the infancy of that. Um, I think, I think anybody sort of observing where we are, it's, it's sort of amazing of what is being connected. And um, it's got a, you know, it's part of like your opening uh, forecasting, like, is the future exciting? Is it easy? You know, I, I think it's exciting. I don't think it's going to be easy. You know, we're, we're, we're now connecting all these devices. What's the exciting part of that? All kinds of new, features right um and some of them are novel and interesting and some of them are hugely impactful to our world uh but this is not just a business thing this is also happening on a you know a significant rate for just consumers and uh, we're connecting 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 our houses and all the endpoints in our homes but it has a dark side and so you know i um, do a lot of public speaking on cybersecurity different kinds of groups but when i speak uh, typically the non-cybersecurity people especially you know senior executives and business groups are like how can we not get a handle on this problem, you know, cyber security, the problem. And if you look at 1997, at least when I started the industry, that was the first year there was a billion dollar industry for information security. And today we're somewhere, what, quarter trillion dollars a year being spent on cyber security. How have we not arrived? Well, let's go back to all these connected devices as one aspect. The tech surface, what professionals would call it, you know, the number of things that are connected that might be exploited or taken advantage of or have or have unintended consequences is multiplying exponentially. So we're not trying to solve a fixed problem that in 1982 we identified it. Now let's fix it. You would wonder why we hadn't fixed it by now. 
we're actually solving a problem that's moving and changing shape and changing size and changing color, you know, dynamically over time. And so that's why we haven't arrived. I don't know that there is an arrival. It's a it's a hugely dynamic, uh, you know, fun, exciting, potentially troubling, you know, um, you know, uh, set of opportunities and 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 uh, and, and threat adversaries are excited as as well because there's just an endless array of things that they haven't even dreamed up to do against this hyperconnected society. Interesting, Derek. If you think of our devices connecting to each other and you have a problem, how do you know which device was the source? And I'm going to give you all a, a very interesting conundrum. Every couple of weeks, iMessage on my Mac refuses to talk to anybody on an Android phone, and I get a red line that says, message not delivered. But I'm able to, me- so I have to go and repeat my message on my iPhone to these people because the iPhone will talk to Androids and the iPad message will talk to Androids. And my and all the settings are correct, been through this. And then every couple of weeks later, all of a sudden I can message from the Mac to people on Androids. I have no idea what is going wrong, but I know that everything else works except on the Mac. <laughs> And connectivity and the Mac operating system about a year ago decided it wasn't going to work with Kindle. So when I have authors on my Monday night radio show and they, I can't, I can't download it flashes and then it says cannot connect. So the I, so talking about connectivity of just everyday stuff that we think we need, Derek, we think we need becomes very, very painful. Does anybody else have any comment on what Derek said? We got it. Colin, I see the Colin and Debbie. Go ahead, Colin. It's actually more in response to what you just said. And there was a sentence there. I was like, man, nobody would have any idea what you were talking about 15 years ago about the <laughs> iMessage talking to the Androids and my Mac doesn't talk to the. And I'm just wondering, like, what is the phrase in 2030 that like totally makes sense to everybody sitting there? But like to people today, like, what did, what did you just say? And it just occurred to me that. <laughs> You're speaking about something that's new. All these words and the meanings of them are new in the past few years. And so, but you know, by 2030, it's going to be there. You go. Everybody will understand. Too. Debbie, comment. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, the point that Derek was making about this idea of the threat changing. Some would argue also that whenever companies or organizations make their most investment is when something bad has happened. And an industry is like a cat. A bunch of cats chasing a ball of yarn. Everybody goes to try to solve that problem and everybody invests in solving that problem. And so it's, you know, there are all these solutions, like way more solutions than what we are are practical, actually. But none of them are solving the future problem. They're solving yesterday's problem in, in many cases, in many cases, not all the time. But I would just um I would just say that. With that, there's, you know, this sort of conundrum that exists that people say, well, you know, the the whole industry is not ahead of the threat. They're just one step ahead of the customer. And that is, in some cases, quite true. And it's one of the things that really begs the question, how much security is enough? People are spending just orders of magnitude more on security today than we did yesterday and we don't feel that we're any closer to solving what is continuously a challenge. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And thank you, Derek, for the uh, very interesting prediction. I'm going to throw something at all of you you weren't expecting. I'm looking at Mike Schroeder, who is not with us today. He did the work and I want to throw prediction number four and get a quick comment from all of you just spontaneously go around the table. Colin, John, Debbie and Derek. He says, sustained habitation of the moon 
will be the critical first step towards all other galactic travel. Ah, we've been talking about communications, we've been talking about electronics, we've been talking about digital, but we haven't talked about space travel except in my opening. So let's go around the table. Habitation of the moon, galactic travel. Colin, any thoughts on that real fast? I think it is a key next step. I think we are just still decades away, unfortunately, from being there. Okay. And I there was something in my opening about a space elevator where you'd be able to push a button and whoosh, go up somewhere else. John, any thoughts about space habitation? I, I agree with Colin. I think that's the first step to go into Mars or going anywhere else. Okay. Debbie, thoughts? I think they have to definitely have more creature comforts um, with that type of a move for to really entice people. It seems like it's a, a difficult journey. Okay, and probably an uncomfortable one and yes. weightlessness. And, and look at uh, William Shatner at what was he at 90? And he went on and was at a 45 second space journey. He's still talking about it and all of the preparation that went into it. Oh my, oh my. Derek, any comments on space habitation? I totally agree. And I have declined all galactic speaking engagements because <laughs> they will not book me a room on the moon. And I said, I'm not coming. Um, so yeah, it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm not an expert in that area, but, but I do get fascinated by it. And, um, you know, the, whole, the, the movements to Mars that we know certain personalities are very excited about. It makes sense that, uh, that that's an intermediate stop that a lot of things can happen because of that. And it does seem far away in relative terms, you know, 20 years is my children might be able to be very, uh, you know, interested in what's going on there. And, uh, 30, 40 years from now, I, you know, uh, but it does seem like some things take longer than maybe they could have or should have, but yeah. Depends on if we, where we want to go and who's putting the money behind it and the comfort level yeah. and the training and the investment in being that person on that space community and what that space kibbutz will be like or whatever commune, whatever you want to call it. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Let's go to Colin. I think we can squeeze in one more prediction. I'm looking at number three and I put it in the chat for you. You say a set of knee jerk reactions to increasing cyber attacks will lead to hoarding of physical assets like gold, new business offerings like in-person only banking and spiking prices of used cars too old to have internet connectivity because the new ones that have been hacked are no longer drivable. Wow, this kind of wraps it up in a bow, doesn't it, Debbie? OMG, OMG, OMG. Colin, I can give you two minutes and then I'm going to get a quick 45 second around the table. I should have started with this one, actually. Colin, talk to me. Go ahead. So I think we are going to have uh, some cyber days of reckoning. Like right now we talk about, you know, we're, we're, have, we're seeing attacks on critical infrastructure and, you know, people are stealing identities and things like that. And it's all been inconvenient and everyone's had their identity stolen and given free identity monitoring insurance. But I think that we're going to have sometimes in the next few years, we're really like, man, stuff is going to shut down for a while. And um, there are going to be a few folks that still have some of the skills from the olden times, you know, the, the blacksmith types that might know how to fix an actual engine on a car. Or you might have other folks that still want to get their money. And they're like, why is there a bank branch on every single corner of every town? I haven't been to a bank branch in years. You might be like, wait, what is that asset doing there? Maybe I should go there to do my banking. You know, I could actually walk to the bank faster than I could figure out all the things that I need to do to unlock my credit and go get a virtual like loan approval, just let me go over there because if I have to prove that I'm me to go get a mortgage, God forbid I have to leave the house like once every 30 years. Like it's There's just some things that have gotten too convenient. They will be pushed sort of to have to revisit some of those skills. 
Uh, but I think in terms of hoarding gold and things, we saw it with toilet paper. I mean, people are going to just panic 10 times more. Uh, the, there's already folks hoarding gold in their walls and their drywall and stuff. I mean, like it's just going to be anything tangible of value. People are going to cling to it. And then by the time you realize this is a good idea, people who have already <laughs> gotten way ahead of you and you'll, you'll lose your money. But it's, uh, you know, I think just keeping some of these skills alive, practicing what to do in a big attack. I know a hospital system locally that once a year they see what can we do with no electronics, basically. Ooh. Like maybe the power stays on, but man, it's like a scene out of Metropolis where they have like people yelling commands and they're turning, they're turning valves and they're trying to keep the chillers flowing and they've got medical records on paper and like, what could we do to save lives if we had to? And it's just good to be ready for it and then hope you never need it. Thank you. Quickly, uh, about 20 seconds each around the table. John Clay, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, identifying humans is a big one. We just published a research paper on biometrics and and the camera technology doing this. I now have got my fingerprints stolen. My facial recognition is already stolen because the cameras are able to do that. So, how, you know, biometrics will probably have to be replaced with something else. Uh, also, our, our zero day initiative, our Ponda own, we've, we've hacked Tesla's numerous times in that uh, mm-hmm. event. So, um, but again, you know, I think you got to think about all the bad things that are going to happen. There's also a ton of good things that are going to happen and technology is going to improve uh, over time and going to do things as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, I can't predict the future. I'll try to predict the future as a futurist, but, uh, you know, until it happens, it's going to be tough to see actually what ends up happening. So thank you. I um, need to cut in and get Debbie, Debbie quickly on that. And then Derek, ready to go. Debbie, go. I think it's going to come down to human civility. All of these powerful technologies are going into place and they can be used as equally for good as they can be for evil. And you're going to need more than, you know, a pallet of water and a gun to survive (laughs) through all of these things. And so you need to really think in terms of just kind of rolling back to us being very simply kind. People and nice people. people. Did we we used to be? Derek, 30 seconds, go. 20 seconds. This group, we'll coin them uh, the, the Luddite hoarders. And it'll be like, let's let's the anti-technology and hoard all the stuff that Colin is mentioning. And, you know, that could be a whole political group. But who knows what they'll uh, they'll be making demands of a society that we've got to we've got to we've got to save ourselves from uh, from the modern uh, modernization. Thank you. And I have one humorous prediction. Colin, you won on this one. He says the Buffalo Dills with a D will win the World Pickleball Championship in front of a streaming audience of 3 billion people. But people trying to listen to Bluetooth won't be able to connect to their devices. And I just read the pickleball versus tennis wars are in full swing all over the U.S., probably the world, because pickleball saying, give us those three tennis courts. They're not being used. And the tennis people are saying, we want our goddamn tennis courts. You go build your own pickleball courts. How dare you? So I think that's, I need to do a show on future of sports. That would be very interesting. I want to thank all of you. Let me just do my, before we, I say quick thank you. And thank you to Andrew, our engineer, who was always so pleasant to everybody, Andrew. You know who you are. Colin Dunn, thank you. John Clay, thank you. Debbie Taylor Moore, thank you. Derek Harp, thank you. And Mike Schroeder in absentia, thank you. I want you all to raise your hand. I have a little exercise for you real fast. Everybody raise that finger. Raise the finger. We're going to do it. Okay. 
On the count of three, I want you to say no, no, no. People say the future is already here, and we say one, two, three. No. no. Come on. No. 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 Oh, you can do better than that. One, two, three. No. 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 Because that was yesterday's future, and today's future hasn't happened yet. Right, Derek Harp? We know that. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh